Okay. Good evening, guys. All right. Welcome to today's midweek Bible study. I don't know what I should call this day one of our marriage and family. Some know I should call it week one. Uh, but whichever way, welcome to tonight's service. Um, we trust that tonight uh, we will be blessed. Uh, thank you all for coming. And uh, let me also wish all of you a happy new month. Amen. Um, the month is fairly young. Thank God for giving us the opportunity to enter into the second month of the year. Um, I hope last month we were all blessed by the messages that came forth from planning, um, especially Pastor Roberts. He, he spoke more about pursuing or attacking our plans. And uh, please, this month is the shortest of the year. So don't let this fly by you very quickly. Um, take some concrete measures and some action steps to your plans. And I pray we we'll all meet our goals this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take action and all shall be well with you. Now let's switch gears for today's topic on marriage. It doesn't matter your current relationship status. You know, I'm ministering to our immediate audience, but we also have a potential audience that listens uh, via podcast. So you might be single, married, separated, divorced, widowed, celibate for any other reason. Uh, it's good to be here. This, this meeting is for you. Most times when we talk about marriage, sometimes people try and check out, you know, like it's, it's an exclusive thing, but it's for everybody irrespective of your relationship status. So I pray that through the Spirit, this Holy Spirit's leading and enabling uh, tonight, you and I will live here blessed and we will live here ministered to. With that said, let's start off with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. As we come before your word, we pray that you will minister to us in simplicity and in clarity of speech. Thank you, Lord, for um, the ability to articulate your word engineered by your spirit. Thank you for what you will do. I pray that may healing take place. May, may, may lives be transformed through this message in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we look at the subject theme today, which is marriage. Um, let's first of all start with definitions. Uh, one one of the things that seems to have a lot of definitions is marriage. Um, but today we have to look at the definition of marriage through the biblical lens or through the view of scriptures. Amen. So, um, there are so many definitions on marriage today. There is a traditional aspect of view of marriage. There are some people, they see marriage as you go and see the parents of the woman for marriage. And when the parents approve, uh, you, pray, you pay a, a dowry and then you can live in matrimony. That's a traditional aspect or a view of marriage. Some to have a post-modernism view on marriage. And those ones, they major on three things, love, tolerance, and acceptance. 
So it, it gives room for same-sex marriages, uh, transgender marriages, even people marrying things like objects, all in the name of love, tolerance, and acceptance. But it's postmodernism definition, the biblical definition, we'll find out. We also have the church's um, view. The church's view focuses more on the man of God's blessing. Most time, the man of God will play Cupid. Yeah. And, and when we talk about playing Cupid, that is bringing two people together into a romantic relationship, which will potentially head into marriage. Well, I'm a pastor. I don't in, in, indulge myself in that. Uh, and I will never do that. Because when I look through the scriptures carefully, Jesus didn't do that. Uh, the apostles in the New Testament didn't do that. And neither will Stephen of Foriabidi do that. I could give suggestions. I could recommend. I could uh, give advice. But I don't rule really. You, I will not put my name on a man or a woman that Pastor Steve says married us. I think that, that there is enough reason in the Bible why the Bible say go find if you find you have found a good thing and you obtain feedback, so go go and find, amen. No, nobody will talk for you. Go and find, amen. All right, so I, I don't see why I should put <laughs> extracurricular activities on my description and my calling when the Bible doesn't give room for so. Then there is the government's view or definition, and the government looks at it from a constitutional and a legal rights. What's the sociological definition of marriage? The sociological definition of marriage is a public declaration of private promises. That's it. So to them, that is what marriage is about. You propose to someone privately and then you publicly declare it by a celebration, making your love known to the person. It's a public declaration. What is the legal rights? The, le the, the legal term or the legal definition of marriage is marriage is a contract that is called for. So it, law reduces marriage to a contract. And there is a big difference between covenants and contracts. Amen. So these are not entirely accurate or biblically sound, although maybe there might be some grain of truth in all strands of definitions that have been given. But um, like I said, we have to look at the Bible because we are Christians, and that should really be our final say. Um, for your information, marriage is not an invention of society. Marriage was created by God. That is why we have to go to the author the head of the institute. Yeah, marriage is not an American right. It's not a British right or an African right. It's not an invention of society. Society have invented many things. One of the things that we can't credit society for is the invention of marriage, family, and communities. That is not a societal invention. Amen. So look at this scripture, Second Psalm 68 verse 6. The Bible says that God sets the solitary in families. All right. That's my most important part of the verse. He brings out those who are bound to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. But what I've underlined, that is the most important um, part of the verse. God sets the solitary in families. God created families. 
God has put each and everyone on this planet in a family. You may be abandoned, you may be orphaned, um, quote unquote, excuse my word, you might be a bastard. A bastard means one who doesn't have parents. But what com- uh, unites all of us together is we all come from families. That's why you were born. It took a family for you to be born. So God sets the solitary and put them in families. So family is a God idea. Amen. So the idea of a community, it first started with the Trinity and God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's why if you critically read Genesis chapter 1, you will see the phrase, let us. Okay, so the essence of community started with God in three persons and a host of angels. So right there, there was community. Right there, there was family. Now, let's look at a witness from Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 concerning that. So go with me to Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 to 6. In context, Jesus was being asked a question on divorce. And in response to that, he, he, he made some things clear before he even went to uh, their concern concerning divorce. So verses 4 to 6 doesn't really answer the question on divorce. If, if you read the subsequent verses, then he answers on divorce. But before he talked about divorce, he, he just decided to set the premise on the family or on marriage. Verse 4 to 6, And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? So at the beginning, at the beginning of creation, one of the institutes that God created was community, which had to do with relationships. And when we are talking about relationships, it was narrowed down to the marriage relationship between male and female. And said, verse 5, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So some quick points to note from this scripture that we just read. God made male and female to form a community. So community is not any nation's invention. Community is solely from God. When God wanted to create a community, he started with two people who were different, an X and a Y. <laughs> created male, he created female to form a community. The second thing that we see here is marriage by God is the union of a man and a woman. 
So if God saw a fit, if God saw a proper, there will be other alternative forms of relationships. You know, there's a difference between federal rights, which a country might be at liberty to do, and we also have scriptural views and scriptural rights. So it might be a federal right to have same-sex relationships, but scripturally speaking, it is not right. It's antithetical to scriptural values. And this is different from hating someone with a different sexual orientation. Christians, we don't practice homophobia. What's homophobia? Homophobia is to bully someone or to discriminate against someone because of their sexual orientation. The Bible doesn't teach that. But the Bible affirms marriage as the union of a man and a woman. Amen. I end there. Marriage requires the husband leaving his father and mother. It's a requirement. So you can't stay in your parents and then say you want to marry. Do you know why? Because if you want to do that in the presence of your parents, you will not hit the goal of marriage. And the goal of marriage is one flesh. For there to be one flesh, there has to be a leaven. That's why you read, you read the King James, it uses the word cleave. You leave and then you cleave. You can't cleave if you don't leave. So that's the requirement of marriage. Because sometimes you see people who say they are Christians, but they are marrying according to different cultures. <laughs> I'm marrying according to an American culture. I'm marrying according to a British culture. I'm marrying according to a Ghanaian culture. I'm marrying according to... And Nigerian culture. But you said you're a professing believer. And if you are a professing believer who truly believes in God, marriage has to be done God's way. It requires that the husband leaves his father and mother. It requires that the woman also leave her father and mother so that they can hit the goal of marriage, which is one flesh. Now, what does this one flesh mean? This one flesh, if you look at it, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, they have the same meaning. There's one of the few times where sometimes the Hebrew and the Greek will have the same meaning. Because sometimes when you look at words like, let's say, peace, you look at peace in the Hebrew, you look at peace in the Greek, they sometimes have equivalent meanings. But if you look at this word flesh in the Hebrew and flesh in the Greek, they all mean the same. It's talking about one body. One body means they are related by blood. And that's the mystery of marriage. People from different backgrounds, different histories, coming together in a union sanctioned by God, by which they become one body. One body related by blood. That is the mystery of marriage. So that, that takes time. That is the goal of marriage. The goal of marriage is one flesh. It takes time. It takes a lot of marrying. It takes time. Amen. God joins and blesses marriages. He instituted it. He is the founder of it. 
Therefore, by him, he joins together and by him, he blesses marriages. Anything that God approves, he blesses it. And then the last thing that we have to note is that marriages can be separated. God joins marriages. God blesses marriages, but it can be separated. That is why Jesus is saying that, therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So there are internal forces which can separate marriages. When I talk about internal forces, I'm talking about issues that are between the husband and the wife, which not dealt with can cause a wedge in the marriage. And secondly, there are external forces that can also destroy that union. And that's what Christ taught. Christ made mention of an external force in man. Outside your marriage, there are things to, if not taken care of, can destroy marriage. Amen. So Jesus had a witness on marriage. And he spoke about this. So since then now, let's now move on to our scripture and define marriage. Go with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 to 25. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 to 25. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. So that was man's job. He had a responsibility. 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. A helper comparable to him. Now, what's the meaning of this word, a helper comparable? Let's look at it in Amplified. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. You see, when you read the King James, the King James says, help meets. And if you don't take care, you think it's one word, help meets. It's not, it's not one word. They are two separate words. Help meets. So New King James uses the word helper comparable. So what's the meaning of the word helper comparable? Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Amplified classic. Now the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper meet. A helper meet. So now it's going to open up the meaning of the word meet. Suitable, adapted, complementary for him. <clears throat> so when, when the Bible talks to us about, I'll make him a helper comparable or a helper meets. 
God is talking about a helper that will be suitable to man, a helper that will be adaptable to man or adapted to the, the to uh, man's purpose, and 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 a helper that will be complementary. So, God and His wisdom. What did He create? Look at it. Out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he will call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the best of the end, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable. And we looked at it suitable, complementary, adaptable. Another word uses the word fits, another version. So fits. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. He took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So the helper that is meet, or the helper that is comparable, the helper that is suitable, the helper that is fit, the helper that is complementary to a man according to the divine wisdom of God is a woman. And when God now spoke about this, he was looking at, at this in a marriage relationship. So what is the definition of marriage then? It's a covenant union. Why do I say covenant? Because it's talking about one flesh. If it's reduced to a contract, it's not one flesh. A contract has to do with two parties. We both meet certain terms of our conditions. If your term is not met, I can break the covenants or, it, or I can break the contract. It can be annulled. It can be terminated. Contracts also means it is renewable. It has its tenability surrounding it. But marriage is bigger than that. So the, the legal definition I gave to you, marriage is a contract that is called for. That is sacrosanct with the Bible definition of marriage. Because marriage requires that the man and the woman in the union will become one flesh. So it now changes the aura and the state of the relationship from a contract to a covenant. So marriage is a covenant union of a man and a woman in God's presence because the marriage has to be officiated by God to pursue God's purpose for their lives. So that is the overview of the scripture. Marriage is a covenant union of a man and a woman in God's presence 
to pursue God's purpose for their lives. We read from verse 16 that when God gave man his assignment and his divine mandate, he said it's not good that man will be yellow. So I will make a helper meet or a helper comparable, a helper suitable, a helper adaptable, a helper complementary, a helper fit to be with man. And in God's wisdom, he made a woman. That's why from what we read in Matthew 19, 4, verse 6, we can confidently, with conclusion, say that marriage is strictly and exclusive between a man and a woman. Amen. So now I want us to look at some truths to note from Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 to 25. So from the text, we saw the definition of marriage, but we also see some salient points that we can't just gloss over, but learn some things from. Walk in your purpose God has for you before marriage. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. Adam was walking in his God-divine assignment and purpose. There are many people who think that when I marry, I'll rather discover my purpose. That's not the case. If you can't discover your purpose now, you will not discover it when you marry somebody. Adam was walking in his purpose. He was working in his divine mandate and assignments. He knew that his job was to tend and to keep the garden. He knew that. He also knew that God blessed both man and woman that they should be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue, and have dominion over the earth. You see, when God pronounced that blessing, he pronounced it on both Adam and Eve. Walk in your purpose. Know who you are. Know what God has called you to do. Define your assignments clearly before you enter into the covenant of marriage. Because if you think that marriage is going to be an avenue by which you will know your purpose, you will know what God has called you to do, it won't be so. I've seen even people who, like, God has called them, they will say things like, oh, when I marry first, I'll, 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 do, I'll do what God has called me to do. It, it doesn't happen that way. You have to walk in your purpose first before you enter into this thing called marriage. So Adam was not purposeless. Adam was purposeful. Adam was busy. He had a task. So if we are advising people, we should advise people not to marry anybody who is purposeless. Because if the person is purposeless, if the person doesn't have a vision, marriage will not create that room and that opportunity for him to have a vision and work in his purpose. The second thing that we see is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and then verses 21 to 23. Marriage deals with the physical needs of a person. 
not the emotional, mental, or spiritual needs. Why? Because God looked at man and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. He didn't say it's not good for man to be lonely. He said it's not good for man to be alone. You know, there's a huge difference between alone and loneliness. Alone is a physical state. Loneliness is an emotional state. Alone is a physical state that has to do with you being by yourself, bereft of company. Okay? Now, loneliness, on the other hand, is an emotional state which has to do with you feeling disconnected from others, even in the presence of people. You see, you can have so many people around you, but you will be lonely because it's an emotional state. You have this disconnection, you have this chasm, or this wall. You can't connect even in the midst of people. That's loneliness. So when God looked at Adam, he didn't see Adam as lonely. He had a healthy emotional state. So when God was talking about uh, Adam being alone, he was addressing the physical need of a person not having company. So marriage deals with the physical needs of a person. It doesn't deal with the emotional needs of a person. So if you are lonely, your, your best avenue is not to marry. Your best avenue is to seek help. And if Christ cannot help you, if your relationship with Christ cannot help you, if your relationship with the Holy Spirit cannot help you to overcome that loneliness factor, being another person is going to worsen it. I remember many years ago, I was talking to somebody and I was asking the lady, why, why do you want to marry? She said, I've had daddy issues. I've had daddy issues. And I'm like, it's not going to work. Because then you will want a father, but not a husband. It's, 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 it's an emotional issue. So I'm saying that if God cannot be your father, <laughs> your husband is not going to be. He's going to actually be tired because now he has to wear two hats. He has to meet the emotional needs of marriage by being a husband and also wear the hat. I don't think that's fair on him. He has to be a father to the kids that will come out of this union, but not a father to you. So it happens. So you have to be emotionally whole to enter into marriage. So marriage deals with the physical needs alone companionship if you are not emotionally whole it is very likely that you will not be emotionally whole in union with another person so you have to be emotionally whole you have to be mentally stable there are some people who think that marriage can meet their mental needs it doesn't marriage deals and meets the physical needs of a person. It has needs that it meets, but it meets the physical needs of the person. That's why sometimes people can be married and they will be so stressed, so angry, so disappointed 
and they will feel like their cap is not being filled because you are demanding too much out of something that is not even there in the first place. Marriage deals with the physical needs. So Adam was a whole person. So God didn't say it is not good that man should be lonely. It's not good that man should be alone. Physical needs. Alone, physical needs. Loneliness is talking about emotional needs. They are not the same. They are not on the same tangent. So marriage deals with the physical needs of a person, not the emotional, mental, or spiritual needs. That is something that you and Jesus, your relationship with Jesus has to work on. Or let me even ask, add on. Maybe you might also need to see maybe a counselor or a therapist who will help you walk through um, certain steps that, that will bring certain wholeness into your life. Now I'm talking about a counselor. I look for a very good Christian counselor also. Amen. But I believe that our relationship with Christ should be able to fix those holes that we are experiencing. Marriage should have boundaries. Genesis 2 verse 24. The next thing. Because it says that a man should leave his father and mother. That's a boundary. You have to graduate from a son to a man on your own. It's a boundary. And your parents should be okay with it on addressing you as such. Sometimes marriages are not working because they are not clear-cut, well-defined boundaries. And when they are not boundaries, you will suffer, your partner will suffer, and the marriage itself will suffer. That's boundaries. So some people don't do well to break that boundary. Marriage should have boundaries. Just 2.24. A time comes the man has to leave. You have to leave your father and mother and cleave. You see, if you, you can't cleave properly without fulfilling the first condition of leaving, that's a boundary. There should be a boundary. There should be a boundary on how you should relate with parents when you are married. It is not the same as relating with them when you are unmarried. And sometimes, thank God for certain parents who are able to see that wisdom and get it, and they are able to uh, seamlessly flow in that transition. But some parents, they don't really get it. They, they don't get it. So you have to be firm but loving. There has to be boundary. And the reason why there has to be boundary is because of the next point. Marriage makes the spouses one flesh. You can't have one flesh without that boundary. That is why it's necessary to bring that boundary. You are bringing that boundary not because of hate. You are bringing that boundary not because you are shunning them. You are bringing that boundary not because you disrespect them or you are ungrateful. You are bringing that boundary so that you can give an opportunity for your marriage to develop into one flesh because that is the goal of marriage. That's the goal of marriage. And that takes long. It doesn't take a year. 
It doesn't take two years. It doesn't take 10 years. As far as you are involved in this covenant of marriage till death as do part, every day is an opportunity for you and your spouse to become one flesh. It's an ever-continuing process. And I've explained one flesh earlier on. It means one body related by blood. That's the mystery of marriage. Because you have two people coming from different backgrounds who might not be blood related. But in the covenants that God has ordained, when they become one body, they become related by blood. And then the next thing, there should be nakedness in the marriage. The Bible says that they were both naked and not ashamed. Until sin came into the picture, man and woman, they walked naked. There was no shame. But the very first time they disobeyed God by eating of the, 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 the tree of the knowledge of evil, the first bite of that fruit, they became afraid, they became ashamed, and they covered themselves. So when, when you see the nakedness, you see that I've put um, 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 quote marks between it. Because when I'm talking about nakedness, I'm not just talking about just the physical aspects. I'm also talking about openness. There has to be openness. There has to be transparency in the marriage union. There has to be transparency. There should be nakedness in the marriage. Don't hide things from your spouse. Is it some marriages where they hide things from their spouse? I remember one time I was dealing with a marriage issue where a lady was so hurt, married to her husband for close to 30 years. Husband has built a lot of properties and none of them has her name attached to it. And she never knew until she chanced upon the door. You know, like... It was just so messy. It was just so messy. <laughs> it was just so messy. And I just remember the heartbreak and the cries and everything. Because she feels like, wow, for 30 years, this is my thank you. And it's a whole, a whole mess that I don't even want to get into. But there should be nakedness in the marriage. There should be transparency. Don't, don't hide. Don't, don't, don't hide things. Why do you have a problem if your wife answers your phone or looks at your phone? Shouldn't be a problem. Should be nakedness in the marriage. Why is it that when you have certain letters, you have to go to the bedroom and go and open it? Why can't you open it in the living room with your wife and watch TV? You know, just there should be nakedness. There should be nakedness. You and your wife are friends on social media, but you have another account. <laughs> Why? You know, there should be nakedness. There should be nakedness. there should be transparency in the marriage. Because when there is no nakedness and they cease to be they, they, they cease they, they cease to be that and cover-ups begin to ensue, it breaches and it erodes the trust of the marriage. And trust is one of the currencies you really need to build a relationship that will help spouses to become one flesh. Amen.
So now let's look at some privileges of marriage. Marriage forces some privileges. Procreation or having kids. That is the best way by which God wants us to have kids. In the context of marriage, not in the context of cohabitation, in the context of same-sex marriage. Why? Because he hasn't blessed it. Anything God hasn't sanctioned, he hasn't blessed it. And anything God hasn't sanctioned and hasn't blessed it, his hand is not in. So why would you want to bring innocent people into things that God hasn't sanctioned and God hasn't blessed? Amen. Sexual relations. Sex is not a sin when it's done in the context of marriage. That is pleasurable, and God wants us to enjoy it. It's a privilege. So when the, when the Bible says that flee fornication, it, the Bible is not being a fan police. The Bible is just talking about the context in which that activity should take place. And if you read Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15 to 19, that's my reference. God wants us to enjoy our marriage. Especially when it comes to the time of being intimate with your spouse. Amen. I don't want to say partner. Because partner can mean different things. Spouse. Amen. And certain legal rights, depending on the country of residence. You know, in, in America, for instance, there are 1,052 legal rights that a spouse has that someone who is cohabiting will never have. 1,052 rights more. So if I were you, I would go and check. What are these 1,052 rights? 1,052 rights. So as far as it has a spiritual undertone to it, there are also certain legal rights to being married. And that's why lawyers, one of the things they will advise is marry. Every lawyer is a marriage counselor. Are you aware of that? I've not looked at the statistics, but I would not be surprised if lawyers are among the highest professions uh, of married people. I won't be surprised. Every lawyer is a marriage counselor. Because they look at this, 1,052 legal rights. I don't be surprised. So these are some of the privileges of marriages that we could go through more. Now, before I end, let me just talk about some few marriage myths. Because maybe a single person may be listening and, you know, I, I want to try and shatter, shatter this bubble of marriage that they may have. Um, first one, marriage guards against sexual immorality. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. You'll be rudely shocked. If you have a problem with sexual immorality, believe God to overcome it before entering union with another person because you exacerbate it. Marriage doesn't guard against sexual immorality. Why do I say that? Matthew 19, verse 8 to 9. 
So now we are looking at Jesus's answer now to the people that asked about divorce. Verse 8, he said to them, let me even start from verse 7. They said to him, why did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So if marriage guards against sexual immorality, why is it talking about you can divorce except for sexual immorality? You know, sometimes we, we give bad advice, like you see someone who is always sleeping around, then we'll say, oh, marry. When you marry, you won't sleep around again. That is not true. Marriage doesn't guard against sexual immorality. It doesn't. Marriage doesn't guard against porn addiction. All this is part of sexual immorality. It doesn't. The fruit of the Spirit is what will take care. Growing in Christ-likeness is what will drop some of these vices. So you can be a man and have homosexual tendencies. Marrying is not going to help it. Oh, let me marry so that, you know, people will know that I'm, I'm straight. It will just be a matter of time. A woman, you have lesbian tendencies. Marrying doesn't cover that up. It's growing in Christ-likeness and understanding who you are in Christ is what will defeat sexual immorality. It doesn't. Now, look at a scripture in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1 to 4. I want to read this in the message. Now, getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me first, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? So, the reason why Apostle Paul wrote on 1 Corinthians 7 was because of questions. Some of the people were, had questions on marriage. So one of them was, is it good to have sexual relations? Now look at Apostle Paul's answer. Certainly, but not only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong. But marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and a fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. All right? So Apostle Paul is just talking about this within a certain context. Because when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we normally think that, oh, the Bible says for fornication's sake, that's what it uses in King James Version, or for sexual immorality's sake, let each one have a wife. But it doesn't guard against sexual immorality. Paul is just talking about this only within a certain context, whereby you have strong sexual drives. Then it is better to marry than to burn. But marriage on itself doesn't guard against sexual immorality. 
if you are not going to walk in Christ-likeness. So if you're addicted to porn, marriage cannot cover it up. If you have homosexual or lesbian tendencies, marriage can't cover it up. That's why sometimes certain scandals can be with my people and it's like, wow, yeah, it happens. Because marriage doesn't guard against sexual immorality. It helps when you have like certain sexual drives, but when you are talking about sexual immorality itself, marriage doesn't guard against that. So sometimes that is a marriage myth. Because people marry and they are still involved in sexual immorality. So it doesn't cover it. Amen. The second thing is marriage will make us happy. Well, your source of happiness should come from the joy of the Lord. Pastor Robert talked about that last week. If joy is not there, being hooked with another person will not make you happy. That's a fact. The third myth that normally people have is marriage will make me mature. Sometimes I, I like the answers when you ask people, why do you want to marry? Most men will say, oh, I want to marry and become mature. It sounds like a very good answer, but marriage will not make you mature. It won't if you are not matured in the first place whilst you are single. It won't. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 25 is a typical example. There was a man called Nabal or Nabal, depending on how you pronounce the name. The Bible says his name meant a fool. So when he was born, his name was called Fool. When he was a teenager, he was a fool. When he married Abigail, he was still a fool. And even Abigail testified in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 25, don't mind my husband who is a scoundrel. He is a fool, for that is his name. Abigail was trying to appease to David to, for David not to kill her husband. You see, so there's a guy who, was, who has been a fool since childbirth, was a fool during teenage years, was a fool young adult years, and he got married and still became a fool. So marriage doesn't give you some wise virtues. It doesn't. Now, marriage makes me, no, it doesn't. If you are not mature in the first place, you are not going to be mature when you enter into the avenue of marriage. So that's a myth. And then one myth is that being married is greater than being single in the society. That's not true. For example, when you read Proverbs 18, 22, the Bible says that he who finds a wife has found a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, the question, aren't there many things you can do to obtain favor from the Lord in the Old Testament? So if we are just going to go just by that definition, then Jesus was not favored, Paul was not favored, John the Baptist was not favored. Because these three men of God I have mentioned were not married. Then Elijah was not favored, Elisha was not favored. In the Old Testament, there are many things that you can do to be favored. Meditating on the word of God brings favor. Giving brings favor. But in the New Testament, when we come into Christ, we are favored. So we can't use that scripture to make singles feel like if you don't marry, you don't obtain favor from God. Because I've heard some 40 renditions like that. 
and that is not entirely true. Amen. Singleness is not a disease. It's not. It's not a disease. When you are single, you are not inferior. Being married doesn't mean you are greater. Sometimes someone when they are so in a hurry, I want to be called Mrs. As if being single is inferior. It's not inferior. When you are married, you don't have an upper hand over a single person. You might be better because you might have companionship, but you are not greater than a single person. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 27 to 28. Look at what Apostle Paul said. Message. Are you married? Stay married. Are you unmarried? Don't get married. But there is certainly no sin in getting married. You see, so Paul is just giving his opinion. All I'm saying is, when you marry, you take on additional stress in an already stressful time, and I want to spare you if possible. So that's why Paul is saying, there's no sin issue here. Paul is just talking about the stress. Marriage is stressful. Marriage is stressful. When I was single, I never thought about some things. When I was single, I never thought about things like life insurance, trust, uh, estates, wills. I never thought about all these things. And you marry, now the pressure of all these things will start to really dawn on you strongly. There is stress in marriage. That is a fact. You will have trouble. So in a sense, sometimes even the single is better than the married. In a sense. So being married is not greater than being single in society. You are all at the same level. And we all stand in front of the eyes of the Lord. You are not going to get any special medal because you married and someone is single. We are all equal in the eyes of God. Society might want to deem it so, but that's not necessarily the case. Amen. So if you are single and if you are believing God from to marry or you are believing God for marriage, take your time. Just take your time and don't feel rushed by the expectations of society out there. And then the last myth, love in the marriage is enough to make it together in life. I once heard a song, All You Need Is Love by Paul McCartney. But Paul McCartney is a divorcee. I hope you know that. He sang that song. So physician, heal thyself. So one of the things you need in marriage is love, but that's not all that you need. There are a lot of things you need. A lot of things. You need money. The top two reasons why marriages fail now in America. Top two reasons. Poor finances, poor communication. So you need to have great communication skills. There also have to be a steady flow of income to keep things going, paying bills, meet financial needs, all that. So it's not only love. So sometimes you can be in that la-la land thinking that all we need is to love ourselves and everything will be okay. And that is not always the case. So as we can see, we have defined marriage in a scriptural context. Look at certain truths from Genesis 2, verse 15 to 25. Talked on some privileges of marriage and looked at some marriage myths to bring a holistic view on this subject. I hope you were blessed tonight. God bless you. I know it's two minutes past eight, but 
marriage. I know sometimes it's a hot button topic, so I'll just allow for one question uh, for the brevity of our time. Amen. All right, it looks like we are all good. So what did we all learn tonight? Do you have any contribution to, to give on what you learned tonight? That could also come in. Because of our time, I'll just allow for only one person. What did we learn tonight? If we don't have any questions. I have a question. You have a question, okay. Yes, please. Okay, so if God institutes marriage, isn't it marriage for everybody? Yes, marriage is for everybody. Okay, I can't remember the scripture, but there's a scripture that says you, or is it, it might be the one you just read. I'm not sure, but I'm remembering something like um, somebody was saying, you don't have to get married. If you're not married, you should just stay single. Oh, okay. If you are not married. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. That that might be Apostle Paul. He okay. was just given a submission. Yeah. Most of what Apostle Paul said in First Corinthians chapter 7 was subjective. Mm. He was just saying that based on his experience of being single he said that i wish that you will not marry but if you can't then marry he says that in the closing of chapter seven so marriage is for everybody thank you all right okay okay i wasn't sure if we had something um I think Felicia uh, might be thinking about like people who don't want to marry. Like there's people who can serve the Lord and be completely fine without marriage. I think, is it Felicia? Is that what you're referring to? I think so. Um, I can't really recall it where the story and how I understood it, but I can. I can only. I was the thought was just. I was just thinking of the fact that, you know, if God institutes, why is it not meant for everybody? Why? Oh, 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 oh okay, okay, yeah. yeah. So, so there, I, I think that there are people that are out there that do not need marriage. They. They're oh, they're fine with themselves. They're they're content serving the Lord. Uh, they don't feel like they need a partner in marriage per se. Um, but I think those people are rare. They're not common. 
So uh, that's where Pastor Steve, I think that's where your verse comes in about um, uh, if you're single, stay single, but if you can't, then you get married. That's what Apostle Paul, I believe, was referring to. I have met some few, it's very rare. Uh, it's not common, but marriage definitely is for everyone. Yeah, that's all I want to say, that there's that small amount of people. All right. Um, time is going by. I'll read one scripture, Matthew 19, 12. For they are eunuchs who were born, that's from their mother's womb. And they are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And they are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. So, it's like you rightly said, there are some people who have just decided that, look, I'm just going to be chased for the Lord. You know, um, that's that's there. And there are those who, they don't have any desire to get married. But there are some too who want to marry, but they are put under compulsion by men. And that's not good. Unless you live a hypocritical life. One of the reasons why there is a lot of scandal in the Roman church concerning sex scandals and that thing, it's one of the reasons. I don't think it should be forced to, like, you have to be single. And not everybody is called to do that. Not everybody is called to be like Paul. Not everybody is called to be like Christ. Not everybody is called to be like Elijah or Elisha. Uh, Peter was an apostle, but he was married. Scripture says so. So I think if uh, we take away that human, you know, institution and that humble fruit, uh, that that will help. You know, marriage is for everybody, but some people will just decide. Look, I just want to be chased for the Lord. Amen. So, God bless you guys. Thank you all for attending for tonight. Um, next week, I believe that Pastor Jessica and I will tag team and we'll talk about the roles and responsibilities of husbands and wives. And I think two weeks after that, we'll talk about living together as a married couple. That's where we'll talk about plans and we'll look at, you know, long-term plans, money dates and all that, that stuff of thing, which was my popular request. So God bless you all. Thank you all for attending and giving me six minutes of your time. Uh, good night, guys. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've given to us tonight. May it be written on the tables of our hearts. May we not be forgetful hearers, but active doers of your word that will receive the blessing and submit thereby. In Jesus' name, amen. Good night, guys. Enjoy the rest of your week.